Wrestling fans, welcome to the first episode of an all-new podcast from the rogue wrestling historian behind Charting the Territories. My name is Al Getz, and this is Stats 101. This is a going to be a regular podcast probably every other month. It's Most months, it will alternate with Wrestling History Mysteries. Of course, our main Charting the Territories podcast comes out the 4th, Thursday of every month, and this one will come out the second Thursday of the month when I do it, and like I said, we'll alternate uh, every other month with Wrestling History Mysteries, and there might be some months, like this month, where you get one episode of each, Stats 101 and Wrestling History Mysteries, so make sure you are subscribed to Charting the Territories wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and at chartingthepodcast.com so you can know when new episodes are available. So let's talk about why I have created this separate Stats 101 podcast. Uh, originally, when I started the Charting the Territories podcast, in my head, it was going to be a lot more based on the numbers, the data, the statistics I have created with Charting the Territories. But as the podcast has evolved over the last year, and in particular due to the incredible knowledge of my co-host, John Boucher, uh, our podcast has ended up becoming a place where we tell stories about the wrestlers who are in the territory in the months uh, and time periods that we cover each month on our blog at chartingtheterritories.com. So the blog sort of gives you the statistics and the data, and then the podcast goes a little in-depth into some of the wrestlers that we're talking about. But there's still a lot of people interested in the data behind the statistics I have created at Charting the Territories, and there's also a lot of people that are interested in my various travels to do research for the blog. So that is going to be one of the primary focuses of this podcast is my travels. And this first episode, we are going to talk about a recent trip I took to Dothan, Alabama. We're also going to talk a little bit about 1973 and 1964, and in particular, how the spot ratings for some wrestlers change as different wrestlers come in and out of the territory. First, we will start with my trip to Dothan, Alabama. Now, why did I go to Dothan, Alabama, you might ask? Well, Dothan was a weekly town for Gulf Coast wrestling for decades, and it's one of the towns whose newspaper is not available online, either through the various uh, subscription newspaper sites or uh, any other method. So we are going to have to get our information the old-fashioned way, and that is to drive down to Alabama. Now, the Alabama Department of History does have the Dothan newspaper as well as hundreds of other newspapers on file, but at the time I was planning this trip, they uh, had not opened their microfilm area. Uh, It had been closed since the beginning of COVID uh, in 2020. So we were very limited in the things we could do at the Alabama Department of History, so I decided to take a side trip to Dothan, Alabama, and I also, while I was there, I was going to attempt to find Newspaper ads for another town, which we'll get into later. But first, let's talk about Dothan, Alabama and Gulf Coast Wrestling. Now, Dothan had been run uh, dating as far back as 1917. I found a card run at the City Auditorium in Dothan, Alabama on December 11th, 1917, featuring Jim Londis, one of the all-time greats, a who was one of the most popular wrestlers in the world in the 30s and 40s. This was pretty early in his career. I think he debuted somewhere around 1912, 1914. So he's in his very early 20s, but he wrestled in Dothan, Alabama on December 11th, 1917, where he defeated Fred Baker 
in two consecutive falls. He won two falls to none in a total time of 45 minutes and 40 seconds. Now, after that, it looks like Dothan was run on a weekly basis throughout the 30s, 40s, and early 50s. And these shows are believed to have been associated with a gentleman by the name of Joe Gunther, who was based in Louisiana, and his outfit was actually called Louisiana Wrestling Enterprises. But he apparently ran shows all the way from Louisiana through Dothan and perhaps even as far as uh, Mobile and Pensacola. At some point in the 50s, Gulf Coast Wrestling is born, and to understand the family tree of Gulf Coast, you need a uh, a flowchart, an abacus, a spreadsheet, and a whole lot of free time. The Gulf Coast Territory was run by a man named Lee Fields for many years, and Lee Fields is actually Lee Hatfield. And if you've listened to the Charting the Territories podcast, you'd know that he is a member of the Hatfield family of Hatfield and McCoy fame. Perhaps the most famous family feud in American history. And of course, there are wrestlers involved in it. And by marriage, the Hatfields are related to perhaps the most well-known, large, sprawling wrestling family, the Fuller-Welch clan. Uh, of course, the Fuller Welch clan includes, uh, Buddy Fuller, Robert Fuller, Ron Fuller, uh, cousin Jimmy Golden and his various relatives, the Welch family. Uh, it's really funny. If you look at wrestlingdata.com and you look at Lee Fields' profile, under the section that says family ties, it says, and I quote, Lee Fields was the brother of Bobby Fields, the cousin of Bobby Welch, the cousin of Buddy Fuller, the brother of Don Fields, the cousin of Doyle Welch, the nephew of Herb Welch, the cousin of Jackie Welch, the nephew of Jack Welch, the uncle of Johnny Wayne Fields, the cousin of Jojo Welch, the nephew of Lester Welch, the uncle of Randy Fields, the father of Ricky Fields, the cousin of Roy Lee Welch, the nephew of Roy Welch, the uncle of Shane Fields, and the son of Virgil Hatfield. And he trained Jimmy Golden, too, just for shits and giggles. We'll add that in there. So... For a lot of Gulf Coast existence, Lee and his various relatives were uh, some of the top stars in the territory. There were probably times when every wrestler on the card was a member of uh, this extended family, which is really fascinating when you think about it. As I mentioned, Dothan is not available on any of these online archives, so sometimes results are hard to come by. Uh, so I made my trip to Dothan to get house show ads, and I was focused on the early 70s, basically 1971 through 1976. And Dothan was run weekly on Friday nights at the Farm Center. And they usually ran an ad in, I believe, the Wednesday newspaper or perhaps the Thursday newspaper before the show. They ran the ad uh, telling you who was going to be fighting who. I ended up not only getting everything I was looking for from the 1970s, but I had a little free time on the last day of my trip. So I picked a earlier year at random. I picked 1967 and I went ahead and uh, looked up as many house show ads as I could. There's uh, a lot of wrestlers we all know of. Uh, Ronnie Carson, who teamed up with Don Carson. Ronnie was a young Dick Murdoch who used the name Ronnie Carson earlier in his career. We also have the Wonder Boy 
Les Thatcher. And Les actually uh, responded on Twitter when I posted one of these ads and said that this was their attempt to copy uh, Bobby Shane, who was being portrayed as a teen idol. So they took a 26-year-old Les Thatcher and billed him as, I guess, a teen idol, the uh, Wonder Boy Les Thatcher. Now, while I was in Dothan, I also took a side trip to a town called Enterprise, Alabama. And here I was looking for ads from a town called New Brockton, Alabama. And I first learned about this town from Mike Norris. Mike is a Gulf Coast historian. He actually used to have a website called gccwhistory.com. I believe that's what it was called. And he had decades and decades worth of photos and ads and profiles and all sorts of amazing resources on the history of Gulf Coast wrestling. Now, unfortunately, Mike told me uh, last year that his website somehow got wiped out. And not only did his site get wiped out, but he didn't actually have copies of all his stuff. He had just uploaded everything to the website. So when the site got erased, apparently so did all his files, which is a darn shame. And hopefully, in some small way, me getting these clips from Dothan will help rebuild the history of Gulf Coast, which, as we know, the WWE actually ran an article on their website declaring it the lost territory because so little information is available. But I had asked Mike a while back about what the other towns that Gulf Coast ran were. And he mentioned two towns in particular that were weekly and that there weren't much uh, house show ads available for and that was Meridian, Mississippi, and New Brockton, Alabama. Now, last year on one of my trips to Mississippi, I was able to get ads from Meridian, but I still had had no luck in finding anything from New Brockton. New Brockton is so small, it doesn't have its own newspaper. And the nearest uh, large, you know, medium-sized town, I guess, would be Enterprise, Alabama. I had no luck finding the Enterprise newspaper online or in any other uh, place I could check, but I did stumble upon the Pea River Historical Society. P is spelled P-E-A, uh, and I guess Pea River is a term that refers to Enterprise in the surrounding area. Um, but the Historical Society actually had copies of the Enterprise newspaper, which I believe was called the Daily Ledger. Um, and this wasn't even on microfilm. This was actually large binders filled with uh, individual copies of the newspaper. So I decided while I was going to Dothan, I was also going to go to Enterprise to visit the Pea River Historical Society and see if I could find house show ads for New Brockton. Sadly, I could not. Uh, my trip to Enterprise, unfortunately, was unsuccessful. I was able to find maybe a handful of ads. And when I say that, I literally mean three or four for some shows uh, in, I think, 1976 and 1977. At one point, Enterprise was actually running ads for the weekly shows in Dothan, but not the shows in New Brockton. So again, for now, New Brockton continues to remain a town where we have little to no information on, but we do have plenty of information on Dothan. What's really fascinating about Gulf Coast, they ran so many towns. Uh, Matt Farmer mentioned on, on Twitter that Cowboy Bob Kelly had once told him they were running 18 towns a week, um, of which several of those were live TV tapings, or maybe those didn't even include the live TV tapings. Now, my records uh, in the early 70s, I have anywhere between 8 and 10 
shows a week in my records. Um, these consist of towns like Dothan, Mobile, Pensacola, Panama City, Hattiesburg, Mississippi, Laurel, Mississippi, a couple other towns as well. If you follow the blog at all, you know that every month I post literally hundreds of house shows from the McGurk territory at various points in time. Well, clearly at some point in the future, I will also be doing the same for the other territories I am charting, such as Gulf Coast, such as Heart of America or Central States, and some other territories that I'm working on in secret. When we look at a time period on charting the territories, what's amazing is to see how uh, how many wrestlers come and go at various points in time. Uh, in the second quarter of 1973, there wasn't a whole lot of turnover. Remember, earlier in 1973, Bill Watts had left McGurk to go to Georgia. Uh, Georgia had just had the split between Ann Gunkel uh, and the other owners, and Gunkel had started her own territory in December of 1972 and basically took the whole Georgia Championship Wrestling crew with her, save for Bob Armstrong and Daryl Cochran. So Georgia Championship Wrestling had to build a whole new roster from scratch, and Bill Watts was a big part of that roster in 1973, along with a wrestler by the name of Johnny Walker, who uh, they put a mask on and christened him as Mr. Wrestling 2, and the rest, as they say, is history. So in looking at the second quarter of 1973 in the McGurk Territory, um, the big exit uh, in at the end of April is the Hollywood Blondes of Buddy Roberts and Jerry Brown. They actually had, they were in Georgia in 1972 when the split occurred, and they actually went with Gunkel and they went with All South, but they didn't stay very long. After about a month, they left and came back to the McGurk Territory but they only stayed a few months, and then they ended up going to Montreal. So perhaps it was just an instance of Roberts and Brown realized they perhaps made a mistake by uh, going to Gunkel and quickly just called uh, somebody they had worked for a few times in the past, and that was Leroy McGurk, and were able to get some bookings until they were able to find a more permanent home in Montreal. And what's interesting is looking at these spot ratings that we calculate that measure a wrestler's position on the card, Roberts and Brown had been main eventers. They were uh, really pushed hard as a heel tag team. And when they leave, another heel tag team that had been in the territory but had just sort of been uh, treading water in the mid-cards um, took their place, and that is the team of Rip Tyler and Eddie Sullivan. And if you listen to our other podcast, Wrestling History Mysteries, you probably learned more about the name Eddie Sullivan in wrestling than you ever wanted to learn. But this Eddie Sullivan was Ruben Huizar, who teamed with Rip Tyler on numerous occasions in Gulf Coast and many other places. Uh, they had come here in the spring, and they end up getting pushed as the top main event heel tag team after the blondes of Buddy Roberts and Jerry Brown leave. And this is something we see a lot of. When uh, wrestlers leave a territory, they sometimes have to insert somebody in their spot. Sometimes they'll bring in a new act and build them up over a few weeks and put them in their place. Sometimes they just uh, just grab whoever they can. And, and in this case, it appears that Rip Tyler and Eddie Sullivan, who might not have gotten that big a push if Roberts and Brown had stayed, ended up taking their spot. We also see a babyface turn, and that is Beppo Mongol, who is the future Nikolai Volkov. Uh, Beppo and his uh, original partner, Gito, 
who was Newton Tatry, came here in the first quarter, but Guito didn't last long. And Beppo is sort of by himself. He's in the upper mid cards or in, and sometimes in main events, but they're not really doing much with him. So they end up turning him babyface and he has a little feud with Bob Sweetan uh, that ends up with Beppo becoming a main event babyface for the last few weeks of his run in the territory. The other main eventers on the babyface side were Danny Hodge, Dr. X, Grizzly Smith, and Dewey Robertson. And on the heel side, aside from Sweetan, Tyler, and Sullivan, you have the spoiler. And by the end of the quarter, Tarzan Baxter returned to the territory and was pushed up into main events. He actually had a big feud with Danny Hodge on a few different occasions over the years when Danny Hodge was the world junior heavyweight champion. So this is another case of Baxter coming back and being inserted into that main event spot. The other time period we're looking at on the blog is 1964. And there's a lot of comings and goings in 1964. Danny Hodge leaves, Anton Leone leaves, Pat Patterson leaves, and Terry Garvin leaves. And taking their places are Jerry Kozak, Art Nielsen, Bobby Graham, and Mike Gallagher. Now, Nielsen, Graham, and Gallagher are wrestlers not often associated with the McGurk territory, so it's interesting to see all three of them coming in right around the same time. We're going to talk about all three of those later this month on our monthly Charting the Territories podcast. But one thing I found really interesting about some of the comings and goings lower on the card is... Uh, wrestler Kit Fox, who was from Anadarko, Oklahoma, and who was, uh, I believe, legitimately a Native American, he finishes up in the territory in May of 1964. And the week after he leaves, a newcomer, well, not a newcomer, but a returnee to the territory, comes back by the name of Chief Little Eagle. So yes, they lost one Native American and they replaced him with another. And this is something that happens a lot uh, in the territorial era. When I was looking at 1975 and 1976, you can literally look at Tom Jones um, being pushed uh, in the upper mid cards. And when it's time for him to finish up, right as he's being moved down the cards and finishing up, Porkchop Cash comes in and is being pushed up the cards. Porkchop stays there for a few months, and as his run is finishing up, he has moved down the cards, and Sonny King comes in and is moved up the cards and takes Porkchop's spot, which had been Tom Jones's spot. And by the time Sonny King's run is done, Tom Jones actually returns to the territory. So it's interesting to see the comings and goings of wrestlers over these various points in time. And that's one of the great things about charting the territories is that we literally put it down to paper. We actually chart it out. We look at from week to week how wrestlers are moved up the cards as they're getting pushed or down the cards as they're finishing up. So these are the kinds of things you can learn when you go to our blog at chartingtheterritories.com and click on the Excel spreadsheets that I spend countless hours putting together, but you can literally see the week-to-week variations in wrestlers as they're being pushed up the cards or as they're being pushed back down the cards or when someone turns from babyface to heel, uh, if that affects their spot on the cards. So that's one of the things that I want to talk about regularly on this Stats 101 podcast is going a little more in-depth behind these numbers and these statistics. 
The next episode of Stats 101 will come out next month in the month of July, and I will talk about another trip I took to Alabama. As a matter of fact, as I'm recording this, I just got back from my trip to Montgomery, Alabama, but I'm going to talk more about it next month on an all-new episode of Stats 101, where we will also talk a little bit more about the feud score, and we'll also have a bunch of other fun stuff to talk about as well. So be sure to subscribe to Charting the Territories wherever you get your favorite podcasts and at chartingthepodcast.com. If you have any questions for me, you can always hit me up on Twitter at Al Gets Wrestling. That's Al G-E-T-Z Wrestling. Stats 101 is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network.